The house always wins. It's an idiom about as old as sand. And just about as old as the notion that you can't beat the house is the fantasy that you can. It's on full display in the classic movie franchise, Ocean's Eleven. Why do this? Because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. The entire franchise revolves around a group of people trying to outsmart the system and do anything to beat the house. And I mean anything. Fourth task, construction. We need to build an exact working replica of the Bellagio Vault. They plan to rob several casinos at the same time. That's Christopher Lawrence. He's a movie critic from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and he wrote about the 2001 remake of the film. That movie is iconic because of just the sense of style that they all had. That sense of style, it's present in both films. That 60s original from the Rat Pack era, where Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin pull off a heist looking hot as hell, the early 2000s remake is just as glamorous. Doesn't hurt that you have the hottest stars of the early aughts, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Julia Roberts. And the crown jewel of this fantasy world of wealth, opulence, and opportunity is the Bellagio. Bellagio was only about two, three years old. Most people hadn't seen it yet. They weren't expecting this level of elegance. It wasn't your 99-cent shrimp cocktail. It wasn't your, like, $2.99 prime rib. It's marble and stonework and the fountains. And it just brought a new level of high-end elegance to town. That elegance, it's what draws you to the film, makes you want to put on a suit and join the gang. And it's the function of the casino to make you feel when you walk through those doors that you could walk out a millionaire. That here, anything is possible. We have these high-end stores. We have hotels that were selling, I think it was Ferraris or in Lamborghinis inside the hotel. I mean, there's just, there's so much money concentrated on the Strip. They're gonna be the ones to figure out how to get in and out and bring some of that money home. Casinos aren't built on giving money away. These hotels cost billions of dollars. They don't hand out jackpots on the regular. But that illusion? that it's possible, it lingers. Like, if you keep playing, one day you could win it all back. I think there's almost like a wish fulfillment in that movie that, yeah, the casinos are going to get it this time. The movie, it's saying that if you're smart enough, you can beat the house. We're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash on us without getting stopped? Yeah. And that idea... That you can beat the house, outsmart the casino, it's what keeps people coming. Casinos know this, so it's not just about winning that they're paying attention to. They're paying attention to every single detail, from the levers on the slot machines to the cushion of the seat under your butt, to make sure, no matter what, you stay and you pay. 
you can spend a couple of hours in a casino gambling, eating whatever, and you don't really know if it's been 20 minutes or four hours. It's just this weird little cocoon of timelessness. And that's assuming you can even find your way out of the casino. No clocks, no windows, no last call. This kind of perpetual twilight, and all of this is by design. Kind of like falling down a rabbit hole online or scrolling too long on Insta. Before you know it, you've been sitting in the casino all day, feeding it your money without really even thinking about it. Nobody really beats the house. And that's what this episode is about. How the house is definitely beating you. How casinos get gamblers to stay and spend. It's a science. It's a carefully curated experience from the lighting to the sound to even the formations on the carpet. We jump on tech giants like Facebook and Google about harvesting our personal data, but Vegas, it's been doing that forever. How do you think they know to comp your uncle that sweet? They've been watching him. It's all part of their algorithm. I'm Brent Holmes. This is Spectacle Las Vegas. In the 70s and 80s, casinos changed. The Nevada legislature passed the Corporate Gaming Act, which said stockholders were no longer subject to a background check. This made it a lot easier to raise capital, and that perked the ears of Wall Street. Vegas became big business. This led to a period of incredible growth in the casinos and the birth of the so-called mega casino. The people running the casinos shifted from gangsters and crime to public companies. And the whole city metamorphosed into a kind of hub for mass market vacationing and conventioneering. That's Natasha Scholl, a freaking mega expert on gambling and technology. I could nerd out with her forever. I'm an associate professor in an NYU department called Media, Culture, and Communication. I'm trained as an anthropologist, and I work on themes of technology and human interaction. Natasha says the mega casino indicated a shift in the way casinos were built and designed. And there was one casino that triggered it all. The most sort of Famous of these was the Mirage, which is this Polynesian rainforest-themed casino that's still there today. It's the one that has the volcano in front, built by Steve Wynn. You also had the Luxor. It's a giant, shiny black pyramid representing ancient Egypt. There's the Excalibur, which is a sort of medieval castle. The man behind this change was Steve Wynn, a bingo hall owner turned casino magnet, and he completely changed the town. He sort of had one foot in the gangster crime world, but he was pushing toward the corporate world. And I mean, he's still considered a leader to this day in Las Vegas. So by the 90s, there was a building boom. Casinos popping up all over the Strip. It also brought with it what many refer to as the Disneyfication of the Las Vegas Strip. Steve Wynn did a bunch of commercials for his casinos. They had celebs in them, like Frank Sinatra and Whoopi Goldberg. 
So, Whoopi, what do you think? About what, Steve? About what? Have you ever seen a resort this beautiful in your whole life, this tropical lagoon? Oh, it's a great, it's great. Because what you saw were these corporate mega resorts going up one after the other down um, the famous strip that all had a kind of fantasy theme that carried over to the architecture. And no surprise, tourism shot through the roof during this time. Tourism tripled. Las Vegas is always ready to party with the nearly 30 million visitors who come each year. It's the most entertaining city in America. Natasha says it changed how people approached the casinos too. You no longer had to wear a suit and heels and get all dolled up to go to a casino. And you might not be going to see some jazz act or to gamble at Baccarat. Instead, you could wear your leisure suit, your sneakers, your fanny pack, and you could go see this exploding volcano. Wow, an exploding volcano? Let me get my camera out here. I need a picture of that. That one's definitely going on the fridge at home. So for casino visionary Steve Wynn, Vegas was a ritzy exclusive place that middle Americans could feel comfortable in, sort of like giving people an affordable view of luxury, the knockoff purse of casino planning, you could say. But there was more to this new kind of casino than giving middle-class consumers a taste of luxury. The mega casino made money by keeping people in the casinos, by giving them everything they might possibly need in one convenient place. And next, we'll talk about how these new casinos were designed to keep you in the building. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. So the rise of mega casinos not only changed tourism, but also changed how casinos catered to those tourists. In this mode of Disneyfication, where you wanted to embrace the idea of drawing people to you through spectacle, you saw these kind of wild and crazy sights popping up all along the Strip. You know, the Excalibur, a medieval castle complete with a moat, or Treasure Island, it's like a pirate ship. New York, New York, and its miniaturized version of the iconic skyline. Oh, so delightful. They've become kind of iconic places to visit, even for the younger, hipper crowd who visits them in an ironic mode. And this was no longer about just providing compelling service to customers. The casino's business now relied on cutting you off from the outside world. Kind of, you know, like a cult. 
And in all of these casinos, you see these sort of tried and true methods for bringing people in, often on conveyor belts, in a kind of confusing, twisting, turning, suspenseful manner. A sense that you're sort of leaving reality, you're leaving your everyday job and entering this new world where anything is possible. And the way casinos pull you away from reality, it's done by design. They're designed to make certain things happen. Namely, that you will spend money, and especially spend money on slot machines. And there's something surprising. It helps you understand what this new era of casino monetization is all about. You figured they want to direct people to tables, to gentlemen's games, poker, craps. You know, you got to get a pretty lady to blow on your dice. But really, the main moneymakers, the golden geese of the casino, are the slot machines. And if you look at the interior design of any casino, you are going to see that it's really in the service of guiding people over to the machine areas. And everything, I mean everything, is designed to place you on that path. So one way you see this is with carpet design. Twisting, turning carpets. Oh, now you're passing through an alcove with rainforests. And maybe you'll stop and take pictures and you no longer have any sense of where you are in relation to the strip and the real world outside. Where am I? What's going on? What day is it? Are you my mother? I'm so thirsty. Oh, more vodka? Thank you. What's this shiny object? It's interesting because casino design manuals have this rule. You want to avoid a 90-degree angle in a carpet because if you put a 90-degree angle, you're putting them in the position of a decision-making consumer who has to make a choice of going left into the gaming area or right to the exit. Okay. Casino design rule number one, no 90-degree angles. What else? You want to create what one famous designer calls these protected sanctuaries of play. These kind of low, immersive, dark corner-feeling spaces where you, as a human organism, will just feel naturally like you're in your little cave. Sanctuaries of play. Are you sure that's not a basement? and you can sit down and just stay there and begin playing the machine. So that was that's the law of space elimination. Rule number two of cult, I mean casino design. The law of space elimination. Is anyone else creeped out yet? And all of this carries over from physical space into what's called casino atmospherics. Atmospherics. So we're talking light and sound. You don't want people's energy to run out too soon. So you want to balance the intensity of lighting and you don't want too many stark contrasts or even too many bright lights on the casino's slot machines that would sort of draw your eyes up and away from the main screen. Yes, that's nice. Dim the lights. Ah, that's soothing. What's that sound? Back in the early days of the one-armed bandits that were in Vegas during the sort of Rat Pack era, you have this loud, clanging, banging kind of association. Ding, 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 ding. But that has really shifted. The, the logic now is that banging, clanging sounds is just going to tax people's senses and make them fatigued and bring them out of the moment of play. 
You want the sounds to be softer, less obtrusive. I always think back to one interview I did where a slot machine designer told me that they programmed their video slots to play all of the 400 sounds that they make in the key of C to make them sort of pleasant, right, and non-fatiguing. Everything from the lights to the sound to the carpets, it's all designed for you to never leave. To have you wander into some corner of the casino and just post up. It's made to reinforce the kind of dream state gamblers can go into. I'm sure you've seen those folks in the casino. They have their little cubby in the corner. They look like they own the spot. Often they would wait until their favorite cozy corner was free. And then they would like put bags and coats on the seats next to them or put their legs up to create a kind of barrier. Gamblers call this the machine zone. The Machine Zone. Sounds like a sci-fi novel. To be honest, this whole thing sounds a bit like a sci-fi novel. All of these external elements, from carpets to the seat ergonomics, <laughs> to the visuals, and of course, what we haven't talked about yet, the mathematics and algorithms behind the screen, are all orchestrated to support and extend that Machine Zone. When people are in the machine zone, they're basically dissociating. I mean, the whole casino experience is one big dissociation. Gamblers lose track of time, lose track of space. They even forget their children's names. The physical pain can go away. They really get into a zone. And that zone is being supported in very material ways by all of these design strategies. Another adjustment these casinos made to keep people in the zone was with the machines themselves. People might think, oh, slot machines, trivial. Not so. This whole industry and this whole city, especially the locals gambling, is driven by these slot machines that have become incredibly sophisticated. Slot machines have changed a lot. You might imagine the slots of yore. You know, the fun little lever, the wheels rolling. But now, like most technology, it's all digital. There are also electronic push buttons, so you can just rest your hand on the console and just tap your finger lightly to play. And that move, it's not just a sign of the times, it's intentional. When you don't have to physically put dollars in the machine or pull a handle, movements become quicker, almost subconscious. Here's a quote that I always like to illustrate this from a game designer who told me, you want the person to be able to slide bills right in there as easy as possible without raising their arms at all. Keeping you spending in positionless time is the only goal. You just keep touching rapid fire, the next hand, then the next, then the next. And who cares if you win? It's just that high, that machine zone. We see versions of this in like, the post-play feature on Netflix, where it just kind of folds into the next episode. It's like binging or scrolling, like that time before bed where you're like, oh, I'll just look at Instagram for an hour, and then you look at the clock and it's 3 a.m., and all you really know is that your friend got the Seinfeld Lego set. You see it when you're scrolling through your news feed on Facebook, and the design efforts are about making it easier and easier to just keep going and lull people into this sort of unvigilant state. So now it all makes sense why keeping people inside the casino is key to making bigger profits. 
The games are designed to be a slow leak on your bank account, just slow enough that you barely notice it happening. But there's another aspect to this story. Beyond the walls, no, the fortress of the mega casinos. Next, we'll talk about gambling beyond the strip. So far, we've established that tourists fall for the Steve Wynn stuff. The conveyor belts, the volcanoes, the swirly carpet. No offense, I mean, I'm a local and I'm personally enchanted by all those bells and whistles myself. I mean, it's a volcano. But these tourists, they're hooked and get in the zone. But Vegas gambling isn't just for tourists, it's for locals too. Two thirds of locals gamble and most of them gamble heavily. They're called repeat players. And repeat players, they know the zone. The zone, they're pros at the zone. Once you are a repeat player who knows the zone, that suspense and excitement and anticipation goes away. And really it's about comfort and relaxing to a point where it's not even about winning. In this low stakes, high volume gambling model, the perks are different. Local gamblers, she says, want convenience. The differences that you will see is that these gamblers, they no longer need to be hooked. So you will see in locals casinos, very easy parking. There's no like long conveyor belt winding through past white tigers. No, no never ending maze with soft lights and windowless low ceiling suspended animation nightmare design. Make it a casino, but make it like Target. You can park easy entry. There are sometimes childcare facilities, definitely loyalty clubs. You play with player cards, you get perks, and it's sometimes called convenience gambling. The locals are, are considered a, quote, mature market. Natasha says that America is actually catering to repeat players more. They're appealing to gambling addicts, to be frank. That's where the money is. So the casinos have upgraded their operations quite a bit from the mobster days we saw in Casino. It's more than a smart, tough guy walking around the casino floor flanked by his mobby henchmen. It's a whole industry of data analysis, engineering, and product design. But the industry of casino gambling in Vegas is also rapidly approaching a cliff. Its core customer? Well... Let me put it this way, it's not Gen Zers ironically putting on a leisure suit and staying at the Excalibur. So entertainment, perks, all these things have changed a lot in recent years to try and attract new customers. If you've been in Vegas in the last 10 years, you've noticed it's a place for chef-driven restaurants, clubbing, DJs. They've even tried to compete with online gaming. We have to make it fast and quick like when you're multi-tabling online. So you see things like removing actual card dealers and replacing them with avatars and giving every poker player a screen. Avatars? I mean, isn't part of the charm of Vegas the experience of, of humans? Not totally clear that that's working either. Is all of this sounding familiar to you? Maybe in ways that don't even speak to Vegas. The way casinos have sought to monopolize data and human behavior using technology, surveillance, advanced product design, behavioral analytics, 
It says a lot about capitalism as a whole. At least contemporary capitalism. It used to be simple. Just beat a guy up and take his money. Now they're beating your mind. I'm in the department called Media, Culture, and Communication that was started by this very famous media scholar, Neil Postman. And he said that you only had to look to Vegas to understand America. He said this back in the 80s. And then when Steve Wynn built the Mirage in the middle of this Disneyification boom, he sort of turned that around. He said, Las Vegas exists because it's a perfect reflection of America, right? So then there's this debate, is the country becoming more like Vegas or is Vegas becoming more like the rest of the country? And in recent years, we've learned how dangerous data-driven structures like this can be. Another journalist took this idea of the machine zone. He called it a coercive loop that we get drawn into when we just sort of lose track of time and space and we just sort of move from click one photo, click another photo. It's almost like seeking a jackpot, but then you keep going and you don't really self-stop. And while we're doing our own version of infinite scrolling at the slot machines, the casino is tracking our every move, something that raises all the data privacy questions that we've been discussing in our world of late. We have pretty recently become concerned with the rise of data tracking, and we associate it heavily with Google and Amazon and these sort of giants of the internet. They really pioneered these casinos so many of the ways of sort of having a network across franchises and people using player cards and tracking every little thing people were doing in those player cards, including what drinks they ordered, how fast they pressed the button. Possibly the most unnerving and fascinating example is heat map technology. Yeah, get ready to be terrified. Yeah, I mean, the managers are sitting in the back and they're watching very sophisticated, often like heat map models of revenue at specific machines and they can click on it and a person's profile and picture will come up and it'll say their favorite machines and their history. And you can absolutely detect someone's pain points and sweet spots. And the thing is, there's this law that you can't change the odds in the middle of a game. So you can't really sweeten the pot from inside the machine. You've got to send someone over to give a comp or kind of sweeten the pot from the outside. Casinos will continue to find new ways to hook them and hold them. No doubt there. Even now, you can barely feel the money draining out of your wallet while languishing in the machine zone. And while the future of casinos remains dim with low-lit ceilings and soft noise, she says that gambling will become increasingly customized, more bespoke for the user. I think that the direction this is going in, and you can detect it happening both online and also in bricks and mortars casinos, is customization. I mean customizing to the person sitting at the machine because this knowledge is readily available in the form of this incredible granular data that casinos collect from their customers. Next week on Spectacle Las Vegas, we'll dive into the world of sports, specifically boxing, and how over the last 70 years, the city has become a mecca for the sport. 
A place where you could sit next to Frank Sinatra at Caesars, see Muhammad Ali in one of his last fights, or see the epic Evander Holyfield-Mike Tyson rematch. One of the workers at the MGM was in the ring. They sent him in to clean up, and he brought out the piece of the ear and showed it to us. And I guess they tried to reattach it to Evander's ear, but it really didn't work out too well. That's next time on Spectacle Las Vegas. Spectacle Las Vegas is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted by yours truly. This episode was produced by Liz Sanchez and Navani Otero. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Spectacle's senior producer is Joanna Clay. Our associate editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Original music by Hans Dale Sue. And special thanks to Tanner Robbins, Vikram Patel, Shara Morris, Odelia Rubin, Chloe Chobel, and Catherine St. Louis. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. I'm Brent Holmes. Y'all come back now, you hear? Spectacle Las Vegas is brought to you by Human Conveyor Belts.